and welcome everyone to episode 217 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. Uh, last one of 2021. We're going to take next week off for the holidays and, and the end of the year. So this will kind of do it for for our year here, I guess. Uh, time kind of flew by. Uh, joined by Ryan and Paul. The whole gang's here for this one. So uh, guys, how, how are you guys doing? How How is the last couple of weeks of December treating you? Eh, pretty good, all things considered. I honestly had like the best potential football day that I could possibly have. <laughs> because uh, your man, your the man, Packers Tyler both Huntley won the game showing out. And Tyler Huntley actually played like an outstanding quarterback, which he is. So could could not have gone better. Did yeah, it start it, it, poorly for him though? We were uh, we were out running errands, so I didn't see the no, first not, half. Not really. Actually, it started yeah. pretty much like gangbusters. The marched right down the field um, some they went the first drive. Baltimore went all the way down the field, like a giant, huge, time-consuming drive. Yeah. But they failed on fourth and one at the goal line, um, and so they didn't score any points, even though they took like eight minutes off the clock. So, um, you know, call that whatever you want, but yard successes are often indicators that you're actually playing well, and it turned out to be a good indicator of that because Baltimore was good the rest of the game. So, yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yep that that game got a little bit more stressful than I would have liked. Down sure the end, did. But uh, I'm happy for you that Tyler Huntley. Uh, for <laughs> those that don't listen to the Packers reporting as eligible podcast, Paul's been a big fan of uh, Mr. Huntley since uh, kind of the draft. Since he, he wasn't he, drafted. Yeah is he is he the highest QB ops ever or how, no, is he ranked? He's not the highest, okay. He is not the highest QB ops ever, but he's okay. the um, one of the highest ever like undrafted QB OPSs. Yeah. It's wild. He was he. I get it. this pointed out. He beat Justin Herbert for first team all pack 12 his senior year. It had Come legitimately on. a better season than Justin Herbert did. Um, he He's a a bit of a weird prospect. Um, some, some guys have had better QB OPSs than him, but they've been like super gimmicky offenses in super small schools. And uh, like you just watch their tape and you can see that that guy is not going to play in the NFL. Huntley's the opposite. Like looking at his tape, it's, it was clear that he should have been in the NFL from the get go. And um, stats completely back that up. He has accuracy, which is like impossible to develop in quarterbacks. Um, he, he was an outstandingly accurate quarterback in college, and um, it was ridiculous. He wasn't drafted. It was ridiculous. He was he was unprotected on practice squads many times over. Any anybody yeah. could have had Tyler Huntley several times over. Um, and the Ravens, who are a very smart organization, kept him. Realized he was better than their backup quarterback two years ago. That was Trace McSorley. Beat him out. And they've had him hanging around ever since, and he's played very well. Well, at least well, whenever he's been called on to do so. So is is that really a thing that you can't develop? A, it's like uh, trying to develop it's, like a batter's eye in, in yeah, batters. It's it's really hard. It happens every once in a while. Like the the quintessential example right now is Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills, though he's definitely backslid a little bit this yep. year. He was not an accurate college quarterback. He was a toolsy quarterback. Those guys like never work out. The the list of bad toolsy quarterbacks is just fifty eight miles long. Uh, the guys who are actually accurate college passers that turn out to be good NFL players is much 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 better. Um, so it, it's a hard thing to do. And it's ridiculous that nobody was willing to even spend like a seventh rounder on a guy who was as good as all the other quarterbacks in his class that went high up in the draft. So uh, I'm glad Tyler Huntley played well today, and I hope he goes on to a long and storied NFL career because I've been screaming for a long time that this should have happened. There's a lot of other stuff in this too, by the way. Like he was not invited to the Senior Bowl. He was not invited to the Combine. 
Uh, there are definitely some issues with who gets invited to the combine and who's in charge of that, and the, especially the Senior Bowl. Uh, there's some good articles on Jim Nagy, who is in charge of the Senior Bowl. I urge you to go read them, and you'll quickly see that uh, a certain kind of quarterback tends to get excluded from that game for some hmm. reason, and Tyler Huntley happens to fall into that category. Oh, boy. Yep. Mm. Wow. Yeah. yeah 2021. Uh, on note, Wonderful. I'm, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, yeah. Definitely glad the, the Packers managed to hang on. They clinched the division, and you'll hear all about that on this week's yep. reporting as eligible. That's later. <laughs> uh, but, but baseball. Yeah. Still lots of uh, nothing happening, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, Ryan eloquently put that into a few words when we <laughs> called up for our questions. Uh, we're going to do something fun at the end of this podcast. We're going to do a little mini draft of our favorite brewer names. Uh, strictly name value, not actual on-field value. So I can't wait to see uh, who we pull out here. I I spent a good uh, 20 minutes just kind of going through baseball reference. I've got some deep cuts that I'm very excited to blow up everyone's draft board with but uh before we get there uh reminder as always you can become a patron uh that idea by the way came from a patron so thanks for that you can uh sign up at patreon.com slash mke tailgate two bucks a month gets you that question priority here on this podcast or you know you might just give us a whole ass podcast idea and and that's great too uh five bucks a month uh you also get the um what am I trying to say? The minor league extra podcast, which Ryan says he swears there's one coming eventually. So <laughs> minor league well, there's extra a bunch podcast. of them coming eventually. We owe you some. Yes. Yes. So five bucks a month to get that minor league extra podcast. You also get Paul's reporting as eligible mini pods. Uh, he previews the game every single week and definitely worth the listen there. All it right. Was, it so was real good this week. It was. Uh... Yeah. It was dead on as it not always, but often is. This was a good one in particular because of my expertise on the Ravens because I like the rack of quarterbacks so much. So. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, you know, my new favorite thing, Paul, I was going to say this last week, but you weren't able to join us. But uh, my new favorite thing is to listen to that on the Monday after just to, <laughs> you know, judge you after the fact and see how well you did. And, yeah, usually it's spot on. So uh, definitely worth the listen even after the game as well. All right. Uh, so as we mentioned, things pretty quiet for the Brewers lately. Uh, hopefully it means all the front office personnel getting a, a rare break from the grind, as it were. Uh, when it comes to the lockout, the things are uh, still really, really slow going. Sides have been meeting to discuss some items, but not the, the basic core things that are going to really make up the next CBA. Right. Uh, that's not expected to resume until January. So we're definitely in for another quiet couple weeks here at least. Uh, the items they discussed lately, things like PEDs, domestic violence policies, and the like, but none of the economic stuff that's really the sole reason why players are locked out right now. I guess with all of that in mind, Ryan, let's start with you. How are you currently feeling about the prospects of starting spring training on time? You know, if they're not going to start talking again until January, pitchers and catchers usually report what, like around Valentine's Day? Uh, not looking too great here, is it? No, I'd be shocked if they started spring training on time at this point. So yeah. I'm not expecting a spring training start. And I'm pretty iffy now on beginning the season on time. I think they'll still manage to get just about all the games. And we may not get a full 162, but we're going to get pretty close to a full season. I still am reasonably certain that they can't, that neither side really can afford to go that deep into the season and screw things up like that. So 
but I'm I'm not expecting an on time spring training start, and really I'm not expecting an on time season start either. <clears throat> yep, same here. It's going to be tough to get that done. Um, it, honestly, the, the problem with all this and projecting any of it is that nobody does any serious negotiating until one side or the other starts to actually feel some heat, uh, or at least the prospect of it. Uh, and it, in, it, until it gets close, um, they're not going to talk about anything important. And we won't be able to actually judge how progress is coming because there won't be any until until spring training actually starts <laughs> to loom close. They're, they're not going to do anything until um, that pressure point actually starts to hit. And there's no way to predict it because maybe this is as as, as harsh negotiations as we think it's going to be, and it does drag on. But maybe the dollar signs start to start to pop into people's heads a little bit more, and it's actually a lot quicker than we think. All, possible, impossible to tell for now. So um, we literally won't know anything about posturing until like March, uh, March or later, and uh, until that until that rolls around. If there is any substantial negotiating that happens before that, it's a really good sign. It means that. Um, people have gotten rational and actually want to hash things out and maybe get the season started on time. But I really doubt that's going to happen. So um, that's the only thing to keep an eye on. The one thing you can kind of hope for here, and the more I've listened, Kevin Goldstein has been really on top of this on his podcast. And one thing you can kind of hope for is that the owner's greediness may screw them over and put them in an even worse position in this case uh, because they are really the only ones who profit off of spring training. I don't know if people realize this. The players and nobody gets paid for spring training. You're expected mm-hmm. to show up. It is it is like a, a thing that you have to do, but you don't get paid for it. And I mean, nobody gets paid. I think you get a per diem, but nobody is pulling a paycheck for it. And for the minor leaguers, this is particularly a problem because they're expected to show up and be there for spring training and potentially extended spring training. So sometimes well into like May. At extended mm-hmm. spring training, they're not getting paid for any of it. And that is something that def- absolutely needs to get fixed. But in this case, there's another thing that people generally haven't really been talking about, but Goldstein has brought it up a couple times. All the major league teams have contracts that say they're supposed to provide a certain amount of spring training games on the <laughs> site to their the, the place they're leasing their ballpark from. Basically, all of them have these deals that you're supposed to provide a certain number of spring training games, and it is not necessarily settled whether or not putting out minor leaguers who aren't on the 40 man roster, which will happen like that. That is what baseball will do is they will put out non roster minor leaguers, and then it'll be a question of willingness to cross picket lines or metaphorical picket lines. I don't know if there will actually be big leaguers out there picketing in front of the thing. Maybe there will be, but I don't know. Uh but the idea of will those players actually cross those lines and will these owners be able to put on these games and will that actually satisfy those contracts that they need to have uh, a certain number of games provided, you know, to the Maryvale development park <laughs> or whatever, whoever controls that place. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that is going to be an interesting thing. And really, the owners are the ones who are going to feel the pinch, because in case you hadn't noticed, owners actually do charge quite a bit for spring training games, even though they don't have to pay <laughs> any of that money to the players. So yeah. they they charge for food. They charge for admission. They charge for parking. They charge for all of it. And they're not sharing that money. So that is a substantial loss to them. So 
there is, I think my hope is that that might put a little pressure on the owners to get serious about this early because they have contracts to fulfill and profits to reap from spring training. So mm-hmm. hopefully that will will push things forward. But I, I, they have to have at least built up some sort of a war chest for this, right? And known that this was coming. They the the union has been talking about this for years now. That ever since basically the last CBA happened and it was such a disaster for the players, the union has been saying we're not going to let this go again. So owners have to have been sort of preparing for this. But then twenty twenty happened, yeah. and yep, yeah. Exactly. That's going to dash a lot of prepar- a lot of preparedness is going to be killed by 2020 being what it was and not being the cash cow that it was having to dip into some some coffers to make finances work. Um, nobody's going to be as prepared as they normally are. So uh, I, I'm a little questionable there. Um, and I, I don't know if that's good or bad, though. Um, I could see the owners taking the short view of, well, we need we need money now, <laughs> for, but also the uh, we can't let that happen again. We need uh, more security in place. It, uh, what, what the, the quote is always, you know, they like to um, socialize losses and privatize profits. And um, <laughs> they will, I think, look at 2020 as a big reason why they need to, to socialize the, the losses a little bit more. Even whatever you think of that, I, I'm sure that's on the, the top of their minds. Yeah. Right. So my question was going to be, uh, if we get to spring training here, who feels the pressure more? So obviously, Ryan, you think maybe the the owners, but Paul, there's still like hundreds of free agents out here without jobs. How many of those guys start putting pressure on the <laughs> union to get something done, too? It's always the problem. And um, it it's probably the players. It's usually the players. I do think there's more of a chance that the owners are not united this time than they're than usual because um you do have a little bit of a a dichotomy between billionaires and hundred millionaires on the owner side um you have like the a's who are the cheapest bastards in the world and you have a few teams that are like them um and that don't like taking losses for any amount uh, of, of time or for any reason so you do have that, and I'm sure like the A's, just as an example, are hurting a little bit after 2020. Um, that does help, but the players that the owners have done a good job with recent negotiations at eliminating baseball's middle class, and that is where you get the best solidarity. That's where you get uh, a majority of guys who can withstand these kinds of things. Uh, that has dwindled, and you really do have a stars and scrubs. Not, not scrubs is mean uh, <laughs> stars and well, people right. disadvantaged by the economic system <laughs> group of people um <laughs> it's a very pc way of putting yep. that yeah and it makes it difficult uh to have the players be all on one team um the, the system has really benefited one group of players and it's going to a make it harder for the other group to s- sustain a, a you know the lockout for a length of time but also make them suspicious of the guys who have benefited from the system uh it, it's a, a it's, it's, the, the owners do that kind of thing on purpose they like it when there is um not a a common ground there and they have that so i i always think the players are going to be at a, a disadvantage here um the owners are still an old boys club and if they um it's easier for them to be unified players much gets harder every day um, so I think the pressure is still on them to keep themselves in line and get the best deal they can and not become petty and jealous over the rich guys who just signed a bunch of contracts. Yeah. So one thing I will say, and I've already kind of said this, but like 
I think that it does help that the owners are basically, for want of a better term, going to start missing paychecks, like, what, uh, five weeks before the players do? Because the players don't start missing paychecks until April 1st, mm-hmm. when the actual games are not being played. That's when they miss their first paychecks. Whereas the owners are going to start missing revenue that they were counting on, hoping on, like planning on uh, in the last week of February when the spring training games were supposed to start, whether or not they they get going. The other thing I do kind of wonder, and tell me if you think this is off base, one thing to, to maybe help hold the union together here is the players who were more nervous about getting a deal done and getting something locked in, well, they had the option to sign early, and a bunch of them did. I mean, we have like half of the MLB uh, trade rumors top uh, 50 has already signed. Now, there's still a lot of people who have not signed, but you could kind of presume that the ones who didn't jump at a deal are presumably more comfortable just letting it play out. And they can also look at their agents can certainly tell them, hey, look how much money the owners just laid out there. The game is a wash in cash. And regardless of what the 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 settlement is here for what what we're going to get, uh, you're going to get paid like you are going to make money because look at the money that just went out to all these players. Now, maybe the players will get nervous that like all that money has somehow dried up and the better the, the union does in the deal, the worse they're going to do in free agency. But I, I, I just see where there has to be. Um, skepticism from the players who didn't just sign and aren't comfortable that they will be screwed over by the players who are comfortable and uh, who tend to be more in charge of things and have more pull in the union as well by mm-hmm. virtue of being longer tenured guys who've hit free agency. Uh, so I don't necessarily think that does work for you. Um, I could definitely see there being some envy there of, oh, look, this guy just cashed in. I'm still in arbitration um and th- that guy's now fine under the old system he just got paid um i want to get mine too i'm not prepared you know i'm not financially prepared to actually weather this um so i, I don't think that's necessarily helpful well the other thing though is if you think about it we're talking about a subset of a subset here because most players weren't free agents this winter most players either had a long-term contract in place or are still in their first six years of, of team control right mm-hmm. So most players weren't up. Now, a lot of the, those who were free agents this winter already signed. So we're talking about a, a smaller group of even whatever. And I think the incentives are mostly aligned for players who are zero to six to try to get as much money as possible in terms of getting more money younger, right? Like those players are currently living that situation and living that reality, even if maybe they're close and they look at it and go, well, I'm only a year away from free agency, and I'd like to make sure that free agency is still healthy and that I can get mine. I still think that they're going to have pretty strong sympathies for you know the fact that they just went through this process that artificially depressed their wages, and they're still in it. They're still living it. So I don't. it would be very interesting to see how much division there is within the union at this point uh, along those kind of fault lines. We know that in 2016, there was a major fault line between international players and American-born players, and that that actually drove a lot of what happened with the hard salary cap for international players, which was really bad and dumb and worse than a draft. (laughs) 
So, but they the the players just basically put their foot down and said, "We will not accept an international draft." Mm-hmm. And so it, it'll be interesting to see exactly how that works. And I have to suspect Bruce Meyer knows what he's doing. And he's been in the position now for what, like almost three years? He's been in the position a while. He had to have been building up uh, relationships and building up sort of a, a plan of attack here. Like, hey, th- we need to stick together on this. And this is the goals that we're going to shoot for. So. I guess maybe I'm just being overly optimistic for my I want the players to do as well as possible <laughs> side here, but it's certainly possible. But I, they have some things going for them uh, that maybe they didn't have going for them in the past. Sure. Yeah, I think it's also important to remember there's hundreds, if not thousands of players in the union, right? And only 30 MLB owners. So it, it's a lot easier to kind of get all on the same page. Yep. In a smaller group, right? There's less dissenting voices. Yeah, but their interests are really divergent. There are some really big gaps sure. between some of these ownership groups in terms of what they're looking for. Atanasio really, he, he seems to be carrying the banner for the small market ownership groups uh, almost in a, like a C-leg way now, right? Like we keep hearing all this stuff about how he's ready to fight off anybody who's coming for his executives. Um, he's <laughs> very eager to, to fight for small market rights basically in this position and we haven't heard any in, inkling that you know, he was trying to get the Mets or anything like that remember he's a New York guy too so he could have you know jumped ship right. we've seen it over and over where guys buy one team and then trade up John Henry was the owner of the Marlins before he went and became the owner of the uh the Red Sox so that happens kind of stuff happens all the time I guess sure. I, I'll still just I'll always bet on the owners in these situations I know the baseball union's been a little bit better lately, but fundamentally, um, what it, what is in the interest of small markets is also in the interest of large markets for the most part. Um, they do like to be saved from themselves in terms of what they spend. Uh, it is something that they actually enjoy. They are not uh, one of the, the the best things that they've ever done done is is selling the idea of the luxury tax as something to help small markets get some extra money when it is in reality just a way for the big markets to not spend as much money. And that's mm-hmm. that's the thing with all small market stuff. So they'll get aligned on that because fundamentally they're agreed that they want to spend less money and they want to spend um, as little as possible when players are the most valuable. Uh, big markets are on board with that concept as well. So um, I, I it's just so much easier for those guys to stay aligned. Yeah, they have their petty, stupid, egotistical squabbles. But uh, money talks with all of them, and it's not that divergent between the smalls and the bigs. Sure. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out over the next few weeks, I'm sure. Uh, but let's move on. I'm, I'm kind of tired of the labor talk Same. already. So, all right. Uh, we got lots of Patreon questions this week. Uh, a lot of fun stuff, too, uh, obviously, without actual baseball things happening. Lots of out-of-the-box questions. So let's start with Brian Polakowski this week. He's asking, what is an, an advanced stat that isn't used or talked about enough? Paul, what's your favorite advanced stat that people don't use enough? I wanted to come up with a cute answer, but it, it actually is probably DRA and DRC, um, which I think we all know and talk about a lot because we are all prospectus see people with not that we don't yeah. use the other sites because we do. Um, but uh, they are, oh, they're a weird stat because they're front office stats and DRA and DRC 
um, tell you how people do in a vacuum. They are to evaluate players outside of their park and outside of their competition. Um, but they're a key component to, I think, a major advance in a lot of prospectuses, other stats in being components of how those operate, including Pakoda projections, including their war. Um, and they do an outstanding job at what they do. Um, and also, as usual, Jonathan is great at explaining all tweaks and all inventions when those get released. Um, so I, I do think it's that, um, you know, every other, not every other, but most other advanced baseball stats are pretty context dependent. Um, you know, not that they don't try and neutralize for park. A lot of them do. Um, but uh, it, it's sort of the most content neutral or um, not content neutral uh, <laughs> situation neutral stat there is. And it it really hasn't caught on mainstream that much. Nerds all know it. But, uh, you know, it's one of those that's never going to crack in. And uh, like DRA and um, DR, DRC a lot. So I go with that. Yeah, I think that it's, for me, um, it's probably more of, about a difference between what's uh, the public really focusing on and what our front office is really focusing on. And I think front offices have gotten a lot more granular. We know front offices have gotten a lot more granular mm -hmm. in what they're doing. And I'm actually try I was trying to look it up to see uh, where it was, and I can't find it. Eric Longenhagen uh, was talking about it on the, the last Kevin Goldstein podcast, uh, was talking about uh, some metrics that are used. Oh, this is killing me that I can't find it now because it just this just popped into my head. Uh, basically, evaluating how batters do with uh, pitches in the zone and what kind of contact they're putting on on various pitches of different spins and all that. And it's that kind of thing. It's this sort of thing. And I'll I'll see if I can look it up while we're moving on here to give a, a more firm answer on this. I think it's that sort of thing that we're probably not focusing on enough in the public. Just because we don't have access to it that like teams do, and it's harder to understand, and it's um, stuff that like when Paul's talking about DRC and DRA, that that is like a finished product. It's giving us like how good is this player really? Yep. And what I'm talking about is more of something that is like a building block of that. How good is this player on a more granular level, and how does that portend to their becoming better later? Or, you know, maybe disappointing as a prospect. Those sorts of things. So it's more of, a, of an evaluation for developing prospects. But it's, I think it's more in that vein that I would look. Okay. The real answer, of course, is toot plan. But, uh, <laughs> yes. Very scientific yeah. toot plan. Yes. All right. Uh, moving on. We've got a fun question here. Jay Google asking, what were your top three games from the last year so uh walk-offs great performances ryan what were your three favorite games from the 2021 season well we're just going to go one at a time here right i i have my first sure. one up and ready and that would be <laughs> and i don't actually have the date for it it's the clincher i was there it was awesome um it was truly a lot of fun to be there dramatic just fun sort of situation um, when they finally clinched after it, you know, took a while. They, they had that losing streak, and <laughs> it did take. And that, you know, it it portended to some disappointment that we were going to feel, uh, you know, a week and a half later, mm -hmm. and that we didn't want to acknowledge at the time. And it, we still, you know, didn't have to play out that way, but it, it ended up playing out that way. So, but uh, 
yeah, I mean, that game stands out as one of the more fun games of the year. And there's always there's always the nod to a game that you were at, you know? Are we going back and forth here? Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. And um, James has to answer, you? too. So I, I do. Okay. I've, got, I've got some. So, Paul, what what I guess one of your top three? Um, Vogelbach walk off. Grand Slam. Ooh. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, it, it just, you don't get it very often. I think everybody was kind of rooting and raring for Dan specifically to do that in that moment. Uh, unexpected, but also just fantastic. So I'll take that one. Yeah. Uh, easy to pick that one. Love to have a walk-off against the Cubs. That's awesome. Yep. Um, I think in the same vein, me being the Corbin Burns super fan, right? It's the game he struck out 15 against the Cubs. Set the major league record for most strikeouts in a row, too. Uh, I think that was what August 11th. He ended up pitching eight innings, uh, shutout innings, no walks, 15 strikeouts. Arguably one of the best pitching performances in Brewers franchise history. I think we had that argument at the time, <laughs> and I think I probably lost it. But uh, still, uh, my favorite, favorite uh, Corin Burns outing, at least of the year. Can't go wrong there. Oh, well, if you're going to take that Corbin Burns outing, then I'll take the other uh, one. When... I was wondering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was, yeah, the no-hitter. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, like that would have been our, all of our first pick had he been able to finish it, had it not been you <laughs> yeah. know, a combined no-hitter. It's we... still cool. It's it is still, still cool. It is still awesome. And it has, it's, you know, the fact that it was him and Hater together, too, that it was those two, and they just absolutely filthy dominated the Cleveland mm-hmm. formerly, well, currently Guardians. Uh, that, that one, yeah, that's an, that's an easy pick. It was a cool thing to have happen. Had been a long time since we'd, we'd had any sort of sniff of that, you know, other than those random Dave Bush ones in the, uh, the late (laughs) aughts. I love an almost Dave Bush. Um, yeah. Seven inning no hitters. There's so many. Yeah. And, and they all got ended by Matt stairs, didn't they? (laughs) It was always Matt stairs. Felt that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess I don't have. Any, if we were doing draft style, I, I basically my solid top three were the Vogie walk off Grand Slam, Burns fifteen strikeouts, and the no hitter. I guess Paul. Yeah. Any other games that come to mind to you? So, there's a couple of like Rowdy Tellez walk offs, but the just the couple I wanted to highlight just as a unit were every time that the Brewers just beat the absolute stuffings out of the Cubs, which oh, they yeah. did. A, they did a lot. Um, yeah, they, they beat them fifteen to seven, seventeen to four, fourteen to four. Like they oh, annihilated. Yeah the Cubs on a routine basis and I'll just take all those um, as a unit <laughs> I should have thought of the game where they were down what seven nothing in the first inning that game was exploded. the Arietta the, the uh, yeah. is over game I yes. feel like we had a couple of those actually I feel like we ended his career like three times this season yeah I couldn't <laughs> believe he was still pitching for them in August or whatever it was they <laughs> still trotted him out there it was bad yeah I, I don't it, any Cubs game but especially that one because that one was weird too. I just had like this weird feeling that they were not out of it. Yep. Just knowing that Arietta was straight trash, he didn't <laughs> look good in the first inning. And sure enough, he didn't. He didn't even get out of the third, did he? It was like the third or the fourth. They chased him super early. I think early. it was the third. I think that's yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay, Ryan. How about you? Any other last honorable mentions here? Yeah, I'm gonna take the walk off that got them to 500. The last time I believe, looking at this, yeah, it was the last time they were they were under 500 for the season, and that was on um, 
May 27th against the Padres. They had this very back and forth game. It started off as more of a pitcher's duel. And then all of a sudden the Brewers were scoring in chunks and the Padres were scoring in chunks. And the Brewers ended up winning in the 10th. Mm. Um, was that one of the I can't even find was it. Was that the Billy McKinney game? Was that the Billy McKinney game? Let me. <laughs> I, gotta, I mean, apparently I need to look at the play like by play and see who yeah. uh, who did it. No, it was. Oh, no. I'm thinking of the other Padres series. No, it was JBJ. It was JBJ oh, right. off of Miguel really? was... off of Miguel da- uh, Diaz. Oh, yeah, so here it former is. Brewer okay. farmhand. Yeah, single the single the right. All right, there you go. So there, JBJ's one fleeting moment, one shining moment as a, as a brewer. <laughs> yeah, it's a, our list. So there it you truly go. is the uh, one shining moment for him. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Can't think of another. So mm, no, unless it's like a rally ending double play or something. Anyway, uh, yep. Jay's got a second question here. Uh, we kind of touched on this the other week, Ryan. Uh, Sarah Goodrum left the Brewers for the Astros organization. Jay's asking, are you surprised the Brewers were not able to keep her around? It's tough to lose her after one year. No, I mean, these things, people in positions like that move around quite a bit. And she did get a promotion, is my understanding. That was why she was able to jump and leave, even though she had a contract, was because, uh, was it the Giants? It was the Giants, right? Came in Astros. and sna- oh, it was the Astro. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah you're yep. right. She came from the no, no, maybe not. I'm thinking of somebody else for the Giants, but okay. Yep. Anyway, but yes, yeah. she she got a promotion to a, a higher level position within the Astros, and I mean, good for her. Like it, it's unfortunate that the Brewers weren't able to hold on to her, but it's tough for them right now with the the hitting development side. I imagine there's just a lot of there's a lot of searching going on right now trying to find the right formula. Like they've obviously figured out the formula for how to do the pitching development thing and they're they're still trying to figure it out on the hitting side. And so for there mm-hmm. to be movement and changes and who knows exactly why she left, if it was more of a of a the Astros thing was just an opportunity she couldn't say no to or whether or not she was finding Things weren't going the way she wanted them to with the Brewers. Who knows? But uh, we shouldn't expect uh, this kind of uh, we shouldn't not expect this sort of upheaval. It's just a normal part of the game. Yeah. And also interesting to have any Brewer hitting person poached. Um, (laughs) I do think it speaks well to uh, her reputation and the fact that her work did apparently stick out to other organizations. Um, despite the Brewers' sort of overall problems in de- developing um, hitters. Now, she was only there a year. Clearly, none of their existing problems were her fault. Um, but uh, it is too bad if she was doing that well, that other teams were coming for her, that the Brewers couldn't find a space to keep her. But, I mean, yeah, if you get, you get a promotion, there's only so much space you can give people. And you know, the Brewers, I think, are going to kind of overhaul the whole thing here. And you, you never know what people are going to want, who people are going to want to keep when you do that either. So... Um, but, you know, kudos to her for moving up quick. Yeah, it, it's kind of a bummer because we won't likely see any of the fruits of anything she would have impl- implemented in the last year, right? So uh, it's kind of on to the next one, I guess. Next next person up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and if we see so, something, yeah. we won't know it was her. But exactly. There's right. very little chance it'll ever be actually connected back to her unless somebody goes out of their way to say, oh, yeah, this was something that, you know, Sarah... Uh, uh, suggested when she was here and ever since then it's really clicked for me you know who knows maybe maybe the joey weimer breakout joey weimer joey weimer the joey <laughs> yeah. weimer breakout maybe once we, he comes up and is the uh 
the MVP we all know he's going to be, that uh, he'll he'll credit her for working with him. But, you know, who knows? Right. And, and like those people so far behind the scenes don't usually get the credit, right? And it's yep. always the main hitting coaches that get the blame. So, But I think, as we saw with the Giants this past year, too, you know, it's a very much a collaborative effort, especially among the teams that do it well. So, yeah, I I guess we won't see, but hopefully the Brewers will find someone else to kind of pick up where she left off. All right. Uh, next Patreon question comes from PJ Wessels. This is a good one for this time of year, the, the gift giving season. He's asking, what are your three to five favorite baseball books? Do you have any honorable mentions or deep cuts? Uh, Paul, how about you? Do you have what? What are your favorite books and 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 things like that? So um, I would definitely recommend more recently um, the only rules it has to work, which mm-hmm. is um, fantastic and a, a good look inside what it actually is like managing people and a baseball organization, and also like kind of living out a nerd fantasy in terms of um, <laughs> like like really. Um, <laughs> so. Um, uh, that that as a more recent one is good. If if you've never read um, Nine Innings by Dan Okrent, um, which is about the Brewers, mm-hmm. um, that's excellent. I, I would highly recommend checking that out. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, my favorite fiction baseball book uh, is The Art of Fielding uh, by I think it's Dan Arbach. I guess should look up the author real quick. But Art of Fielding is great. Also takes place in Wisconsin. Um, is is good, notwithstanding that. Um, Chad Arbach. That's yeah, Dan Auerbach's the lead singer guitar player for the Black Keys. Okay. Sorry. I, I was just listening to the Black Keys today for some random reason. Can't complain there. All right, Paul, any others? Uh, I got a bunch of old Bill James books, which are just all good. Um, and if you find any from the 80s, pick those up. Everything, anything else I'll recommend would, would definitely be cliched. Um, I guess the one other one I would recommend that is now outdated, but I still think worth reading is Baseball Between the Numbers, which was a a, um, a, a group of short essays by baseball prospectus authors at the time. Uh, I think Nate Silver and Kevin Goldstein in his first run are prominently featured in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's actually a nice look back at what uh, what the field was like, like uh, probably 50, 20 years ago now. Um, it includes kind of some seminal stuff, it, like the original... Why doesn't Billy Bean shit work in the playoffs, which they've recanted mm-hmm. since that time, is worth reading to see why it's it didn't work out. Um, uh, is uh, is Mike Matheny a catching genius? Is in that book, which is definitely worth reading as well. Uh, it predated a lot of the uh, catcher framing work, and it's good to see kind of it, it's an interesting like historical look back. So I would recommend that one. I go back to that actually more than I thought I ever would. Interesting. Ryan, how about you? Yeah, so for me, um, I'll go with the other Ben Lindbergh book that you didn't mention, The MVP Machine, and you can just like mm. glance over the stuff about Trevor Bauer. because there's well, That's like two-thirds of the book. Is no, 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 no. It's, it's not two-thirds just of the book. Through that. It's, just page through it. It's fine. There's, just... there's more Trevor Bauer than there should be there, but there's not. it's not that heavily about him. And there is also a dose of skepticism about him in there, too, that like they don't just fawn over him. They're like... they. They don't get into great detail about why he's a horrible ass of a person, but they do mention the stuff. They do talk about it a little bit. Um, the MVP machine is really good, uh, just also as a business book. If you uh, are, are in a, a position in your life where you go to conferences and have a businessy type job and have to talk about crap 
um, <laughs> in your field. Um, the, the parts of the MVP machine on focused practice and, and how to get the most uh, benefit from the work that you do is actually very good. And one of the best, I would say, business applicable books that I've read in a long time, even though it's about Trevor Bauer. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, we have to say it like because it's it's a seminal book. And again, if you want to see what things were like back then, especially if you're a younger listener, I don't know what our, how our demographics are age wise, probably <laughs> probably skews a little bit older. But yeah, uh, I would guess so. I would I would guess so just in general. But if you are a younger listener and never read Moneyball and have only seen the movie. Uh, read the book. Go go read the book. It's very good. And even though now it is almost more of a historical artifact than anything, there's a lot of yeah. value in that, like Paul said, with uh, Baseball Between the Numbers, to see what people thought back then and how the things have evolved, how thinking has moved since then. Uh, so that would be really valuable. Um, more on the entertainment side. Um I do not recommend it. I don't even know the name of it, but I read a really bad. It was like uh, trying to turn a, the Jackie Robinson story into a Mickey Spillane novel. Basically, <laughs> it was horrible. It was really, really bad. But I, it stands out yeah, in my mind because it was like, it was, it was focusing on a fictional uh, bodyguard, like Jackie's bodyguard, who's like following him around, and it's like this yeah. hard-boiled detective story from the forties. It's awful. Uh, like, and I just picked yeah. it up because I saw it, it's like in a dollar bin. And needed something to read on like an airplane, and it was like, "Oh, this is about Jackie Robinson." Okay, how bad could it be? <laughs> Turns out really bad. Um, oh boy! Ball f- I, I, oh I, okay. I, you sparked me. I need to do one more really quick because it's hard yeah. to get, and if I, I forget, I'll forget forever. Um, the Hall of Nearly Great, uh, which mm. was originally called the Hall of um, uh, whatever, very good. Um, mm-hmm. they, they had to change it for copyright reasons. Hall of Very Great is uh, excellent. I think you can only get it. I'm not sure you can get it. Uh, it was a uh, it was a Kickstarter. Uh, it's by like all of the Twitterers and bloggers that you know and like the, like John Boyce wrote mm-hmm. um, one on. Oh shoot, I forgot. Uh, shoot, uh, Brave that he always writes about all the time. Um, a bunch of like now pretty. Fa- I think Calcutta's that I'm not sure. I'm not. Don't don't quote me on that. But mm. there's a bunch of now internet famous people who wrote a book together about people who aren't quite good enough for the Hall of Fame. It's really good, and it's called the Hall of Nearly Great. So, awesome. um, and then like going back to classics, Ball Four. If you haven't read it, it's a classic in the field. So is Catcher in the Rye, Bob Uecker's book. Both are, you know, like you have to understand the time that they're in <laughs> and that there, there's going to yep. be stories in there and things that are not necessarily politically correct or uh, appropriate or whatever. But there's they're also fantastic uh, windows into what the time was, what it was like in the time. And uh, they're both uproariously funny. The The line in there when one of the pitchers on Booten's team was asked, what's the toughest thing you've ever had to do in baseball? And. It was explaining to my wife why she needed to get a shot of penicillin for my bladder infection. <laughs> so it's like God. that was that was the, uh, there's there's stuff like that. It's just it's absolutely incredible. It's great. Um, also, uh, I oh it just completely slipped my mind. Oh yes, okay. So there was an umpire in the seventies, eighties, and nineties of baseball named Ken Kaiser. He's not a particularly good umpire. He was a bigger than life personality. And he wrote a memoir about his time in baseball. 
And there is a story in there that I will never forget about him and Dave Butcher, who he was assigned to when he was coming up in like the Carolina League in the 1950s. And it was a game where he worked. It was Dixie Day in South Carolina in the 1950s. You can imagine what that was like. Mm. And the story and the details that he goes into about it. I don't even care if it's not true. It is an absolutely <laughs> amazing story that involves them literally being escorted to the county line by the sheriff to get them out of the county alive. Uh, it is it is incredible, and I, I would recommend the book except for that story, which is you know oh, a, a, a full chapter. Um, because he was also a guy in the offseason to make extra money. He wrestled in like uh, pre WWE era, like uh, uh, in the territories. Yeah, like in the territories <laughs> in the minor leagues. He was a wrestler and he was like, uh, I don't even he like wore a hood so that people couldn't see his face. Oh, man. So, like, this guy was a larger than life character. Again, not a good umpire, not a, a particularly good person. Um, but the the stories of this are absolutely incredible. But a great storyteller. Yep. Yeah, yeah, the ex- stories, the story, <laughs> the story of uh, Dixie Day is just it's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. Okay, right. two I'll, two I'll two, two really quick things on Hall of Nearly Great that I have to mention. Sure. So first of all, just just a quick rundown of who is on there. So Mark Normandin was the the creator of it, but it's got Joe Posnanski on it. It's got John Boyce on it. Uh, Matt Corey, Sam Miller's uh, got one on it. Passan's got one on there. Um, old Hoss Radborn has an essay on there. Um, <laughs> is it about himself? It is not about himself. It's okay. about Bob Crothers. Um, <laughs> Calcaterra is on there. Brad Doolittle has one on there. Um, King Kaufman is on there. Uh, Jason Parks has one. Rob Dyer is on there. Uh, Will Leach is on there from Deadspin. Hmm. Um, uh, ben Lindbergh's too. But here's the th- so lot, it, It's very good, top to bottom. However, one of the chapters is by Jonah Carey. So... Um, Oof. Okay. Speaking Oof. of canceled. So, so yes. So, if you get it, skip the Jonah Carey chapter, or you know, keep keep that in mind. Want full disclosure there. Forgot he was on there when I recommended it. Jonah Carey is, of course, a scumbag, and so I, if you don't want to steal the book, if you don't want to give him money. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, real quick, I got a few that haven't been mentioned. I think I brought it up on the podcast before, but Astro Ball, sort of the uh, story of how the Astros kind of built their empire. Uh, kind of came out obviously before some of the other factors of, of their greatness were discovered. Uh, but still an interesting look at how the front offices work, that kind of thing, how they kind of built up the draft, found Carlos Correa, the, all that stuff. Uh, super interesting look there. Um, also, uh, what other one was I going to bring up? Uh, Smart Baseball, Keith Law. Good book. Super easy, quick read. Um and I like it just because I was very nearly a, a psychology minor in college. And he kind of uh, pairs some uh, common fallacies and in, in human psychology things with why people tend to think wrongly in baseball situations and why stats disprove kind of our human instincts in a lot of aspects. Uh, that's a really good one as well. Well, and he went even deeper into that with his second book, right? And I have not read that book. It came out during COVID and it seemed like it was almost going to be too heavy for me and so I just avoided it. I need to go mm. back to that one. I also enjoyed Smart Baseball yeah. when I read it. Actually, listen to it as a book on tape. That was ideal for that book. Listening to it oh, through Audible. Actually, I, yeah. I, I, the one I'm actually thinking of is the second one. It's the Inside Game. 
That's that's the oh. one that came out in 2020. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so that one was pretty good. Uh, quick and easy read, actually, Ryan. It's it's not too heavy at all. I I found okay. it to be pretty easy to read. Uh, but you know, Keith, he's he's used to writing internet format, so it it it's written very much like Keith Law writes, and you'll read it super quick. Yeah, the inside um, game was very much. It was the um, it was the intersection of like behavioral economics and like yeah. baseball, right? Like it was. Yeah, it was that's a very interesting idea. Told- yeah, it, it, it's kind of outside the box thinking, um, but yeah, it didn't. It, don't worry about it. it. It's not too heavy at all. Um, super uh, interesting, and and he backs up his his positions with a lot of actual real life examples. You know, obviously, Grady Little pulling Pedro Martinez, that kind of thing. Uh, but there's some stuff about Manny Ramirez in there too. Yeah, it, it's just really good. Um, the one I'm trying to work my way through now is the best team money can buy kind of about how the Dodgers started all their stuff to kind of uh, rose back through the ranks. I think that's Molly. Knight's I was going to say that's Molly Knight, right? Yeah. Yep. So have that one's I, on my nightstand now. So, yeah. Have either one of you read because it's gone in and out of print, but it's supposedly a classic in the genre. And I've never read it. Lords of the Realm. Uh, yeah, I have Lords of the Realm. Uh, it, it's. It's great. I have a giant hardcover that I got at a used bookstore upstairs on my baseball shelf. Uh, Lords of the Realm is fantastic. Uh, I couldn't recommend it enough. Okay. That one will be high on my list. I need to get around to that. Yeah. Uh, and of course, I think sort of like Moneyball, Jeff Passons the Arm, maybe kind mm. of more of a timepiece now, but yeah. still a really good, interesting read. I think we've learned a lot more since that book came out. But I think uh, in the book, he's also pretty straightforward that this is constantly evolving no real answers here this is my best <laughs> attempt at figuring out what's going on with all the arm injuries right so yeah that was another one i had audible subscription for a year and that was one of the yeah. ones i i made sure to listen to yep that one's really good too and i guess on labor talks i think it's one that's just called the game and i forgot who wrote it i think as a former sports illustrated writer uh, but really went into the 94 work stoppage and the relationship between Bud Selig and uh, Steinbrenner, actually, and kind of their two different worlds and how they can, came to collide with 94 and all that. So it's just really interesting uh, look at the labor stuff, too, if that's your jam. So. so when I was in college one night, I was listening to it was late and I went out for a run at like 11 or 12 at night and I turned on a sports, a national sports talk radio network. And they were interviewing Bud Selig, and he was talking specifically. I think this was in the context of they had just finished maybe the the next CBA, the 2001 CBA or whatever. And he talked about going to his, you know, the owners meetings when they were trying to hash out how they were going to deal with free agency becoming a thing. And he had very strong opinions and his opinions were very much now to hear him tell it. He he saw how, you know, problematic what they were doing was and he was trying to get them to be more reasonable and trying to push them forward. How true that is or whatever, I don't know. But there, he told a great story that has always stuck with me about the fact that because they knew he was like a young, impressionable, you know, whatever, they stuck him between. Uh, like two old stalwart uh, owners of the game, like Phil Wrigley or whatever Wrigley was still alive at that point <laughs> or whatever. And uh, somebody else who I don't even know, oh, maybe it was like the O'Malley's or maybe it was the, the Boston Yawkey. Like, and he was like, and the whole point was to intimidate him and make him just shut up. Mm-hmm. And he said that that was something that always stuck with him, that like he had always felt like they they needed to be, 
more forward thinking and they weren't and it was just you know the the stupidity and arrogance of this this old guard and whatever but yeah that that story sticks out to me for some reason all right our next patreon question comes from ted johnson he's asking if you could give the brewers organization a christmas gift what would it be ryan what are your thoughts on that one um juan soto <laughs> that would solve a lot of problems i mean that's sure. like giving somebody a gift that you're really giving it to them because you want it yourself which i yeah i have yeah. been guilty of that at, at a couple different points in my <laughs> life so yeah <laughs> that that would definitely be a i would give them that so that i could enjoy him on the brewers good answer Paul, how about you i'm not giving them shit they're <laughs> They have way more money than me, so and they <laughs> and far more far more knowledge about baseball than I have. So they can uh, they can just fend for themselves. If anything, they should get me something. Yeah, season tickets or something. You know. Speaking of yeah. which, you know what just came in the mail for me yesterday morning, right as I was heading out to uh, to visit my family in Madison, I got mm. my Brewers Christmas gift for being a season seat holder, and it was <laughs> okay. a very nice knit stocking cap. Um, with the uh, Barley Ball logo on the front of it. So it says Brewers across the front of it, and it's got the little fuzzy ball on the top, and it fits my giant melon. So I'm quite happy with it. <laughs> Much better than the the weird Christian Yelich uh, Santa Claus bobblehead with the, oh, uh, no. with the, the batting, which has yeah. made its way to our tree now. It is part of our, oh, our annual okay. Christmas tree. So that's, that's okay. definitely a thing. Um, and no, it is not in a hot tub of uh, marshmallows. Hot chocolate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, is, it is not with Barbies. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. What What do you get the team that has multiple holes to fill and no conceivable way to do it? Juan Soto. Yeah, Juan Soto. Yeah. How about uh, get the Brewers some common sense for ownership to talk the league into unlocking out? How about that? Does that work? I don't know. Sure. I don't know if you can compel somebody to like, do something for like a gift. Dishonor That's weird. Toward men, so. Yeah. 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 You know, season's greetings. Now, please get a CBA. All right. Uh, next question comes from Jared Vogeltanz. He's asking, who is your favorite fifth starter back end of the rotation pitcher from Brewers past? For me, it's Chris Narvison. Always loved that guy. And I was just convinced he was going to be more than the back of a rotation guy. I got to admit, I, I have a soft spot for Narv Dog myself. Always love a soft throwing lefty. Um, so, yeah, Narvison actually might be my pick, too, outside of, you know, maybe my eternal love for Manny Parra. Paul, how about you? Uh, Tom Filer, he went 7-3 uh, and three in 1989 as the, the fifth starter mop-up guy uh, with a 3 6 ERA. Uh, he's a righty. Nice. He's awful. Um, he just <laughs> he lucked into one of those good seasons that guys have sometimes where he accumulated a lot of wins back before I knew that that didn't matter that much. Pitched pretty well, honestly. <laughs> uh, and I I don't know. I just like his name. It made it sound like he was cheating because you know if if Filer is like a way that you would cheat. <laughs> yeah, like, there you like go. Doctoring a baseball, which I yeah. also kind of appreciated. So I'll go with him. Right. How about you? So I like Paul's pick. I think yours is just like the Narvison thing is just. That's not truly a fifth starter because really he was better than that. He was like good enough to be a, a, 
a higher starter than that on a worse team, but because it was a good sure. team, you have the depth of that. I like looking at these guys from this is right at the beginning when I was really not when I first became a Brewers fan. That was when I was a kid. But when I was really starting to, as an adult, start following like every game and becoming very like obsessive about it in the mm-hmm. mid aughts. Um, and two really stand out from that time. First one is the vampire himself, Victor Santos. Um, yes. Love him. And yeah, that was uh, that's uh, Nick, right? Was the one who, who uh, claimed yeah, because he couldn't pitch in the day. Yeah, yeah he, he was, couldn't pitch he, in the day. He had crazy day night splits. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that would be one. And another one would be Tomo Oka. Who yes. Was oh. very briefly with the team. And that's like the, the platonic uh, ideal of like a good fifth starter for a pretty mediocre team. I'm, okay, I'm I'm not. I'm just gonna miss. Wasn't Tomoka a reliever for the Brewers? No, he was a no, starter. He started. He was okay, a starter man. Goodness. Yeah. Okay. In 2005, 2006, yeah, he started 20 games and never pitched. Uh, he did pick a little bit in relief, but started oh, 20 so in 2005 okay. and 18 in 2006. Wow. All right. And he was pretty reasonable. I mean, he's putting yeah. up 99 ERA mm-hmm. plus and a 94 ERA plus. That's pretty, pretty good. Solid. Pretty good. Pretty good work. Yeah. I am kind of pissed that you brought him up, though, because I was going to take him in the name draft because Tomokazu Oka is is one of the better names out there. And I still remember that it's from The Simpsons, right? When they're all like mimicking the major leaguers. And is it Ralph who's like, I'm Tomokazu Oka of the Montreal Expos or something like that? OK, it, it, it's yes. great. Yeah, yep, yep, <laughs> yep, great. you're right. <laughs> uh, yeah, but Tomoka, another good one. And yeah, I. I was going to give Dave Bush another shout out too, but I think Ryan, you're kind of right. Like along the lines of Narvis and Dave Bush, much better not, than just a back. Not a fifth starter. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. So a he's just a three. guy I have a soft spot for. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, next question comes from Brady Steinberg. Brady says, I proposed to my girlfriend of 10 years on Saturday and then the Badger volleyball won the national title. Well, a congrats Brady and congrats also to the Badgers, I suppose, but more, <laughs> more congrats to Brady. <laughs> Uh, Brady's asking, what day should I plan for the wedding in 2022 to secure the Brewers World Series victory? Uh, Ryan, what what day should he pick? What's the wedding day? Not October of 2022. That's for damn sure. You need more time than that, my brother. <laughs> yeah, no, it's going to be mid-November by now, right? Yeah, <laughs> Right. Like that's You, you got to give yourself a little <laughs> bit more lead time on that. We had a year and a half uh, of lead time on ours, and that was kind of just barely enough. So... Um, yeah, give give yourself a little bit more lead time unless you really are ready to just like buckle down and go because it's uh, there's a lot and especially I can't imagine planning a wedding in COVID times is it has to add more levels of complication and uh, and just awfulness to the process. So uh, <laughs> congratulations and uh, yeah, I, I would push for a uh, you know. A, Let's look more for a uh, a summer wedding in 2023 at this point. <laughs> I got faith in you, kid. I think you can do it. Um, you're going to get some COVID help. You're going to get some labor help by the season not starting on time. I think you got until first week of November here. So I think yeah. if you I think if you do first first week of November is what you want to shoot for. You got 11 months. You can you can do it. You can pull exactly. It yeah. Yeah. And really remind the fiance too. what's the priority here? Her dream <laughs> wedding or the Brewers winning their first ever World Series title? You know, just think of your priorities here and, mm-hmm. and let that lead the way as you choose your wedding date. But congrats, Brady, and uh, best of luck planning the wedding. All right. Next question or questions, I should say, come from Mark Podscarby. 
He's asking with both only having three years of control left, how much longer will Woodruff and Burns be on the Brewers? Uh, Paul, I feel like we get this question every once in a while, but uh, what's your feeling on how much longer the Woodruff and Burns era goes? I'll take Woodruff less than three years. I think he is the most likely starter to be traded of the big three if they decide to go that route. And Burns longer than three years because I think that he's awesome and that they will at least seek to keep him around longer. But I don't know more than that. Yeah, I think the Cy Young makes it maybe a little bit harder to keep Burns. Uh, but I, does. I've, I've been the one pushing for the Woodruff thing, uh, saying that that could be a, a solution to getting better offensively uh, to pick up a controllable big time bat because it's going to be hard to do that without either paying through the nose in free agency. And I don't even know who's left at this point that you would really want to do that with or, uh, you know, you basically go to the, to the well, as far as, uh, dealing somebody away. And I think Woodruff makes a lot of sense. So man, do I want to be a complete bring down and say, I don't think either of them will be here after three more years. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I think if I had to bet money on <laughs> one outcome, either neither, both just Woodruff or just Burns as far as being here after three more years. Uh, so on, what would that be? Opening day 2025? Give me neither. Hmm. Okay. We are in the dark days of December for Apparently sure. Apparently we right. really are. Uh, on a happier note, Mark's second question here. What year do the Brewers win their first World Series? Ryan? <laughs> 2022. Oh boy. I'll also say 2022. Like it's so, it's so speculative to pick anything other than 2022. They're good enough to win the World Series right now. So that is the most sensical answer that you can give to that question. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm just gonna say we we all had that same thought too heading into this year's playoffs, and and we were very sad three days later. So, uh, yeah. I don't. I, I don't know. They made 23. The playoffs. How about That's all you can do. It's all you That's can control. True. That's true. All right. Uh, and now this is the thing that we've been teasing ahead to. Adam Post asking, or actually saying, uh, last week James lamented the idea of needing to do some kind of Brewers player draft to fill up time. So here's a Brewers draft to do. Please pick your top few Brewer names of all time solely based on the quality of the name, not the actual player. All right, so I know we've gone a little bit long already, so we'll try to do this uh, fairly quickly, but we'll do three rounds here. Uh, we'll do wraparound snake style, as is tradition here, and I think we've all got a list of names kind of digging through baseball reference that uh, we found and, and would like to go. Um, I did not pick a draft order, so we're just going to go on order of my screen here. So, Paul, you're first. Okay. Who do you have? Number one name. My uh, my number one name is uh, Delancey Lafayette Currense. Oh, <laughs> damn it. I, uh, I thought that was going to be a deep cut I would bust out here, but that <laughs> that's a good one. Um, I mean, I don't really have anything to add to that. He didn't play very long or very much, and I don't think it was very good, <laughs> but that name is off the charts great. So. <laughs> 18.2 innings pitched in 1975, yep. <laughs> his only big league experience ever. So we're off and running with a, the deepest of deep cuts, Lafayette Currency or Currency. We get the added bonus here, too, of Paul and Ryan and me not knowing how to say anybody's names properly. Yeah. 
I mean, so we can say however we want, so it's all good. Exactly. All right. Cool. Ryan, who's your uh, pick here? Well, I'm going to go Chalk, and that is because Sixto Liscano is just an awesome name no matter what. Yeah. He was really good, too. And Steve Gershinsky was almost named after him. So, like, he's got <laughs> all of those things going for him. Sixto Liscano is just a cool-ass name, guys. It's just really it cool. It's great. It's cool. It's cool. All right. Um, I, I was assuming one of you two would pick Sixto right away. So um, how about Damien Magnifico? I ah, love that name. Still. Very good. Very good. Uh, very yep. good. He did pitch three games for the Brewers in 2016. Before he got traded away, he was part of the Christian Yelich trade. So uh, there you go. Uh, some uh, historical context for him as well. But uh, his major league career has been less than Magnifico, I guess. Am say. I allowed then to take guys? I guess so he did pitch in the major league. He so pitched in the major He did. He did. So he I can't just be rough age. I can't take a farmhand, a pure farmhand no. then. Let's, let's keep can, this to, to major leagues you, here. You can, you can do a, an honorable mention. I have a dishonorable mention at the end. So Okay, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll save my mind for that then. All right. All right. So since we're doing snake style, I'll go again. And I will, of course, take Unieski Betancourt. We can't do this without Uni mentioned. So there you go. It's a good there name. We go. It rolls off the tongue. Yeah. Doesn't I, his it, name mean like Unieski? Isn't it like Golden Hands or something? Is that literal or was that just like the uh, joke with the Russian translation? I can't. I can't remember that because I remember <laughs> when the Brewers were in the playoffs. Somebody was watching on Russian TV, and they had described him as Mr. Golden Hands, and which is a hilarious way to describe him <laughs> yes, if you know anything about his defense. <laughs> yeah, it, yes. Oh, all right. It's, uh, it's a little too on the nose. Honestly. It is. It's yeah. very on the okay. nose. Yeah. It is. Okay. All right, Ryan, uh, your second pick. Oh, I got. Oh, hold on. I got lost. Uh, skip me. Go to Paul. We got a Vikings pass. Vikings. Oh goodness. Oh no. Okay. All right. No. Paul, how about you for two then? And we'll go Ryan for two. All right. All right. All right. So um, I will go with Nick Nugabauer. Once good one. Once the pride and hope of the Brewer Farm system that did not work out at all. Um, Poor Nick was very bad. He was a pitching prospect. (laughs) He did pitch in the majors because I saw him pitch. I think in his debut, (laughs) and he sucked something awful. Um, and then since I'm getting two in a row, I will take Randy Lurch um, because <laughs> it sounds like the uh, horny version of the Adams Family character. And that's good enough for me. <laughs> well, there's the episode title. Oh, man. I can't believe I missed that one. All right. <laughs> uh, Ryan, can you beat Randy Lurch? Um, no, I don't think I can, but, uh, (laughs) I honestly don't think I can. Uh, I'm going to go with one that has been one of my favorites. And this is purely just a Simpsons reference. So Paul will love this, uh, because he was at the Brewers this year. Uh, Miguel Sanchez. (laughs) Uh, It's one of my favorite Lionel (laughs) Hutz jokes. Every uh, Miguel Sanchez um, (laughs) sent down to the minors was just the best for that reason. You're right about that. (laughs) So for those who are are unfamiliar, look it up. It's one of the great Phil Hartman rest in peace moments of of the Simpsons when he's babysitting the kids and burning all his documents (laughs) in the fire. It's fantastic. So... Um, really, really enjoyed that. And then I have to go chalk on this and it's, but it's 
Karsten Charles Sabathia. Because mm-hmm. everybody just shortens it. Yeah, shortens it to the CC. And Karsten Charles is just a hell of a good name to begin with. And Sabathia is an underrated last name. I think sometimes the more we get accustomed to a, a name, like because it's a really good player, we sort of lose the the feeling of how cool that name actually is. Mm-hmm. And Sabathia is just a cool name to begin with. And the fact that he turned out to be a Hall of Famer, you know, yep. just sort of brought it into the lexicon in a way that, you know, if he was a lesser player, we would talk about that as being just a cool name to begin with. So yeah, I like that one. All right. Uh, I guess I'm officially last pick then. Uh, I have like a list of 20 here. I, do I, I went all out. Um, so I, I may have a lot of uh, honorable mentions here, but I feel like... <laughs> Which way do I want to go? Deep cut or the obvious? Let's let's just go uh, Wei Chang Wong because he was just a lot of fun. And, WCW, you know, yeah, WCW Wednesdays, always good. <laughs> um, they got some good social media out of it, even though we had to watch him pitch. And that was not great because he had come up just from a ball. Not his fault. <laughs> um, it's a bad system, folks. He, it's a bad system. He, he, yeah. he took a, he took it all in stride and he gets bonus points for that. And it's just another name that sort of just rolls off the tongue. So I love that. Uh, Paul, you got the long list too. How about some honorable mentions so, for you? By the way, objectively, I think no, probably nobody chose it because he was super good and also Hall of Famer, but the actual answer is Raleigh Fingers. Sure. Um, oh, sure. Okay. That name is yeah. Um, uh, also, I, I did want to give honorable mention to uh, Mike Coolbaugh because if we're mm-hmm. talking about cool names, that's one of the coolest names that you can have. Rest um, in peace, Mike Coolbaugh. And he was only a, a brewer for a short time, but I will I would do want to mention John Vanderwall because hmm. you don't Vander um uh, by itself with the space um as a qualifier for last names very yeah. often. And the wall being only one L, I feel like is also yeah. just outstanding. Yeah. Uh, I did want to mention if you're going through the Brewers hitters in alphabetical order, <laughs> looking for this list, you will at some point in the C's get to a cursed duo of former Brewers, um, John Cardinal. Um, you, a, a, who is right next to Chris Carpenter? Um, not that one, not the other one either. That other guy. Um, ah, so, we're back to the Chris's Carpenter. Yeah. So you, you have a couple of just cardinal stains in the middle of the whole thing. So. Oh man, I think there's another like category we could work with here too of guys who have names that are much more famous in other contexts, such as okay. Corey Hart. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and more recently, Will Smith. Oh. Yep. So you have you have some of those that uh, those stood out as being funny. The the Vanderwall thing just made me think of the Chris Berman, John, another brick in the Vanderwall. And how annoying <laughs> I found that even when I still didn't hate Chris Berman. I forget what year it is, uh, but everybody should go and find uh, the baseball prospectus commentary for John Vanderwall's final season in the majors because it's just outstanding. Mm, okay. Is it is it an Oasis reference? It is an Oasis reference. Yeah, it, after it is, all, you're my Vanderwall. It is written entirely to the cadence of Wonderwall. <laughs> that's a very Paul shout. That's that's great. Oh man, I, I was gonna say if I was around for his prime, you know, a little bit older, or if the internet was a thing, there's a one thousand percent chance we would have called him that on Twitter. So uh, that's that, that's very cool. I got some other names too that I think I basically just picked up because I played for other teams in like 
Ken Griffey Jr. baseball when I was a kid growing up, and I always just liked names, right? Like Esteban Yan was my favorite pitcher growing That's up. That's a good one. He was, mm-hmm. he was trash. I, I had him on my uh, my Dreamcast 2K2 uh, team. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've got Israel Alcantara. He played 16 games for the Brewers in 2002. I think he is more famously known for, I think, a crazy brawl in the minor leagues. Uh, yeah. So we got Nori Aoki, Burke Badenhop, Jet Bandy, Jason Bourgeois. Jet Bandy, Ooh, Jet also, Bandy. On, also on my list. Jet yeah. Bandy, yeah. that's an oversight. Yeah. 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 Yep. I had Ber- Jeremy Burnitz on mine just because of the weird spelling for Jeremy. And Jeremy. A, yep. Jeremy Burnitz. Uh, Frank Catalanato, Yolis Chassin, Jamie Kokenauer, uh, Valerio De Los Santos, Angel Echeverria. I, had, I, had, I lived in the same apartment as Angel Echeverria for a while. Um, oh I have I think, more Valerio De Los Santos baseball cards than any other individual baseball card. <laughs> he was the only brewer who was in like the top 100 of the first baseball America list that I looked at, or no, he wasn't in the top 100. He was their number one prospect, but he wasn't in the top 100 because that's how bad their farm system was at the end of the uh, Sal Bando era. So I remember that specifically the first time I ever saw a baseball America list. And yeah, it was Valerio de los Santos. (laughs) Not not related, but do you guys know the, the starting pitching matchup? That has the most combined letters of any starting pitching matchup in baseball history. I do not. I just happen to know this off the top of my head. So it is Jason Isringhausen versus William Van Landingham. Wow. Okay. And that's so that's before Isringhausen became a pretty damn good closer for the second half of his career. He was part of that uh, Generation K with the Mets with, uh, was it Paul Wilson and Bill Pulsiver, who also Pulsiver was on the Brewers for a while. He was in his post era. So the the prospect that I wanted to shout out and throw in there, um, and there's a bunch of good prospect. You could go to the the Hurricane Hernan Urabarin. That would be a good one. And he he made the majors. He He did make the majors, so he would fit for this. I did see him on there, but passed Mm -hmm. over him. But the one I wanted to do because it's very it has very max power energy is Maverick (laughs) Lasker. Oh, I remember Maverick Lasker. Yeah, that's great. I love that. It's a it's the fake name that like Michael Scott or Homer Simpson would have picked for themselves. <laughs> oh, like, it, is. it is. So it it works on that level. And yeah, he was he was a decent prospect for them for a little while there. Yeah, I remember his name popping up in the brewerfan.net box scores back in the day. So there's that. So speaking of names that we we don't appreciate well enough because they're too part of Brewer's lore. And we've just normalized them, but Gorman is an objectively awesome name. Yeah, yeah. Like, and especially when you combine it with Gorman Thomas, who who that dude is, and the mustache. Like Mm -hmm. that dude should be named Gorman. Like that is exactly what Gorman should look like. So absolutely, that one works out. Yeah. Uh, All right. Last three. I'll just jump to the bottom of my list. Yorvit Torialba, objectively, always has been a cool name. He played in five games for the 2012 Brewers, so he counts. Uh, garbage man Joe Winklesauce. Have to shout him out. Yes. <laughs> and then, like, the very last name I saw was a cool one. I have no recollection of him ever. But Peter Zuccolillo. I feel like we need an A to Z. So, Peter Zuccolillo, you can be the the cap to this little honorable mention draft here, too. So. But there's also my doppelganger, Mike Zagurski. 
Yeah, I almost put him on the list uh, just to, to shout shout that out to you. Oh, man. I can't tell so. you. Every once in a while, somebody finds that post for me on Facebook that I put up there. And somebody's like, wait, when were you in the Brewers dugout? Then they read the story. And they're like, oh, no, that's that's your doppelganger. It's fantasy camp. Yeah. yeah All like- right. <laughs> All right. Uh, so this was a lot of fun. Thanks for the awesome idea, Adam. Uh, if you have an idea for a draft you want us to do to get us through this nightmarish <laughs> off season. You can do so uh, by becoming a patron and telling us what to do. That's at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Reminder, two bucks a month gets you question priority, both here on this podcast and on Paul's reporting as eligible Packers podcast. Uh, So you can send us questions there. You can also send us questions on Twitter at MKE tailgate is the account for the show. You can also follow us individually. I'm at James L James with a Y Ryan's at RD top and Paul is at Badger Noonan. Uh, we should also shout out some new patrons. So, uh, Ryan, who do we have to <laughs> shout out this week? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and guess that this is on the football side of things, but uh, incredibly average at everything. I <laughs> shout, believe that is a reference to, to a recent RAE, but I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah. I think it is. Oh, man. Yeah, I kind of remember you talking about that. Mm-hmm. It was having uh, to do with a RAS score, right? Something like that, yes. Probably, yeah. But also I'm incredibly to think of average. Now. It's bothering me that I can't think. I think it is a RAS, uh, and it's... Uh, I cannot think of who it was, though. Shoot. Oh, uh, well. Uh, well, Adrian Amos. I don't know. Whatever. Maybe. Maybe. Well, regardless, thank you for signing up. Incredibly yep. average to everything. I uh, also could probably describe half a dozen of the names that we threw out in that player draft as well. <laughs> uh, but thank you for uh, signing up. We would also appreciate it if you're listening and you haven't already. Please do leave us a, a review and a rating for this podcast whether that's on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to us. A reminder, Paul will read literally anything you write in the review if you give us five stars. It does not matter what it is. Uh, five stars, Paul will read it right here. And while you're there, please do hit that subscribe button so you can make sure you don't miss a single episode uh, here with us, especially now that our recording schedule is a little sporadic around the holidays. But uh, we'll be right back at it in the new year. A reminder, we will take off next week to kind of wrap things up but uh thanks for sticking with us this is kind of a extra large size podcast with the gang all back together before the holidays uh but a lot of fun thanks for listening everybody as always and uh stay well hope you have a happy holidays happy new year we will see you in 2022